Hail and well met, everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's Geek Thyself. This week, I'm going to go back to a topic that all of my listeners by now, I'm sure, know is a topic near and dear to my heart, which is cats. Specifically this week, I'm going to answer questions that are often asked about cats. So this is going to sort of run the gamut from, you know, why do they purr all the way down to why do my cats yell at me at night or why do my cats drool when I'm petting them a lot? You know, well, what's up with that? Those sorts of things that people ask just everyone, honestly, I think we get it a lot where I work since we're a cat-only hospital. I am sure that normal vets who see multiple different species also get asked these questions periodically. But that's what I'm going to be talking about today. So there's going to be some medical knowledge interspersed with all of this. Most of these questions are things I've been asked at work or by my friends because they know I happen to know a lot about cats. And so they're things that I didn't really have to do a lot of research on. There are a couple of things which I verified by double-checking online, so things that I already had a pretty good idea of the answer to, but, you know, I want to make sure I'm giving you guys the right information, so I looked up more online on some medical journals and things like that. And I'll talk to you more about those at the end, but for now, let's get right into it. So as part of today's episode, I looked up online, you know, the top 10 questions people ask about cats, or the most frequently asked questions about cats. So, of course, the fir- one of the first things that pops up is, you know, the 10 most Googled questions for cats. Well, the first one on every list I found pretty much was, why do cats purr? Which is a question I have been asked at work before. So the why of cats purring generally has to do with some sort of emotional response to something. I've seen it in two different areas. One is when they're really happy and content, such as when I'm at home with my cats and they're purring and making biscuits or kneading on me. And, you know, they're really happy and comfortable. They're excited mom's home, that kind of thing. I've also seen it at work, though, with cats that are nervous. It's not as common to see in that situation, but we do see some cats come in and they're clearly not happy to be at the at the vet hospital. You know, they're nervous, they're wanting to hide. Sometimes they uh, will purr anyway, though. And so we consider that more of a stress purr is how we refer to it. It's not as common, but I have seen it. We don't have a definitive reason for the purpose behind purring. We know that cats do it and we know some of the things that trigger it. It's essentially vibrations of their vocal cords and it's usually in response to some sort of neurological stimulus, mostly emotional. So things like when they're happy and content or things like when they're nervous at the vet. We'll also sometimes see them do it when they're injured or ill. And so there are some who think that it might be some sort of healing effect in some way. There, you know, there's people who look into that. There's also possibility that it's communication between cats or between the cat and whoever it is they're with. Relating to that, 
one possible reason that they do it so often is that we've actually encouraged it in them. If you think about it, when your cat comes to you and wants attention and you start petting it and it purrs, that purring encourages you to keep going because of how happy your cat is. It's a reciprocal response. They're giving us comfort by purring, but then they're also getting pets and attention that they like. So it could also be, in some cases, partially learned because we've encouraged it by positively reinforcing the behavior. So there's a whole slew of different possibilities of exactly why they do it. But in general, the response is usually to some sort of stimulus that they're enjoying. So things like purring, maybe a favorite food, maybe they're getting to cuddle with you in your bed, things like that. Somewhat related to purring, another question that I get asked quite a bit at work and that I've also, again, seen on some of those Google lists of, you know, most asked questions is, why do cats need? Uh, at my job place, we often refer to this as making biscuits. I've also heard people say making muffins and, you know, things like that. But either way, it's when the cats are, you know, lifting up their feet and pushing them back down and usually opening and closing their toes. So there's a couple of different possibilities with this one as well. One part of it, at least, regardless of which theory you go with, is that it is a somewhat instinctual behavior for the cat to do. When they're kittens and they're nursing on their mother, one of the things that they can do to stimulate the mother to release more milk is to push with their feet against the mammary gland as they're drinking. This pushing and massaging of the mammary gland sort of encourages it to release milk, which then lets the kitten eat. So part of it is just instinctual. They instinctually do that when they're feeding on their mother because they want more milk to come out so that they can eat. So there's that part of it. So it's it's something that they do from kittenhood. Additionally, something we'll also see is they will, you know, knead on their bed before they settle down. You know, they do the circling thing and they're kneading and making biscuits and getting everything just where they want it. So part of it could be that they're trying to get comfortable and make everything exactly the way they want it. Along those same lines, one possibility that also gets brought up sometimes is the fact that they have scent glands between their toes. So by kneading and doing that motion, they're actually working scent from those glands onto whatever they're kneading on. So to a certain degree, they may be marking us or their bedding. And as you can see, or here, I should say, Mowgli has decided to join us for this podcast as well. I love him to death and he is definitely my baby, but I will say if anyone wants a cat that does not cry a lot randomly throughout the day for attention, a Bengal is probably not the breed to get for you. Just saying. Anyway, back to the kneading. Specifically why cats need on us. So as an example, since he's being so vocal anyway, Mowgli loves to make biscuits and do the kneading motion on me when he gets into bed with me at night. He always has done it since he was a kitten and he continues to do it. He'll also sometimes do it on his blanket. He'll stretch out his front legs and make little biscuits and knead into the blanket as he's settling down. So in his particular case, I suspect that more of the reason he's doing it has to do with an instinctual response to being really happy and content and being with mom to a certain extent. I mean, he I had him since a kitten, so for the most part, I'm mom. 
So a lot of why a cat will make biscuits and do the kneading motion is definitely instinctual from kittenhood, like I mentioned earlier, but it's also possible that the exact triggers for a particular cat can be very different. I will say also with kittens that I have bottle fed, because I've done a lot of kitten fostering over the years at the cat hospital that I work at, one of the things I will see sometimes or that I'll hear about when people come back and tell me about the kittens they've adopted that I had raised is that those particular kittens and cats will sometimes be more prone to making biscuits and more prone to also suckling on their blankets. This particular behavior is something that a lot of cats will do if they've been bottle fed. Not every bottle-fed kitten will do this as an adult, but I have heard about it from several people over the years that have taken kittens I raised and bottle-fed and fostered. And that's a decent number of people. It's not a huge sampling, but I've probably bottle-fed over a 100 kittens in the years I've been at the hospital, so it's a fair number. Another question that I get asked a lot and that made it to the top 10 Google list that I mentioned earlier is... How long do cats live? This one's a little tricky because there's a lot of factors. For instance, if they have feline leukemia or feline AIDS, which are the two immune suppressive viruses they can carry, then that diminishes what their lifespan may look like. It's also, are they indoor only? Are they outside? You know, all of these factors. So speaking from my own personal experience, if we're talking about a cat that is negative for both of those viruses doesn't go outside, stays inside and is kept in a very secluded, controlled environment and is well taken care of by its owner, meaning, you know, annual exams, lab work, things the doctor recommends if they're having a, a little of a cold or something like that, vaccines, all of those things that are medically recommended as well as being kept inside. I've seen cats that got up to 25 and 26 years old. I've heard that the oldest cat, I think, hit 30 in my own personal experience, 20s or high 20s, like I said, 25, 26, is the oldest I've seen. One factor that also has made it so that not necessarily as many cats hit that age has nothing to do with how well they're cared for at home so much as metabolically what their body is going to be prone to. Just like us, they can have genetic factors which lead to different diseases earlier or later in life. For instance, some of the bigger metabolic diseases we see more often at towards the end of a cat's life, things like kidney disease, hyperthyroidism, in some cases diabetes, dental disease, those are things they could have a genetic propensity to get. So it's not necessarily anything that's been done by the owner, and it could just entirely be that that particular cat was more genetically prone to having this particular issue. But those play a factor in how long the cat will live because... Obviously, if they get some sort of major medical metabolic issue, it's going to possibly diminish the lifespan. I will say that for the hospital I work at, I feel like the majority of our patients tend to fall sometime between 12 and 18 years old in terms of a lifespan. That's on average what I see at work. Now, every hospital might see a slightly different variation in that. I know that generally speaking, what I saw online was that most people's response to the question was sometime between 10 and 15 years. I think that my hospital tends to see them a little older than that, but that may also just be the demographic we have working for us in our area. So I can't say necessarily specifically why that's happening. 
Relating to that question of how long do cats live, I get asked a lot at work, how old is my cat in human years? Because obviously cat years are different since they don't have as long a lifespan as you and I do. So for a lot of people, they're curious, you know, what my 10-year-old cat, what's the age equivalent for a human? There's a lot of different formulas that I've seen both at work and online, and it varies a lot. I will say that generally speaking, most of the time people agree that a one-year-old cat is approximately 16 to 18 years old, somewhere in there. Because if you think about it, a one-year-old cat can mostly take care of themselves. They might still be kind of goofy and young and not make the best decisions, but they're old enough to function at full cat capacity. They can feed themselves if there's ferals and strays and things like that, which, you know, roughly translates over to a 16 or 18 year old for us. The second year of a cat's life generally, again, is going to be more than the stereotypical, you know, seven years to every human year that people used to talk about. I would say that the second year of a cat's life is probably closer to eight or nine years, maybe even 10 years equivalent to a human. So that would make a two-year-old cat somewhere between, let's see, 16 plus nine, somewhere between 25 and 28, which I think actually is appropriate because a 28-year-old human, you know, there's we're still young enough to go out and do things. We're still active. We're sort of in the prime of life. And that's roughly where a two-year-old cat is as well. They're fully grown. They're developed. They're more mature. A lot of times at two years old is when we'll see animals like cats and dogs start to calm down a little bit and not be quite as crazy like they were as puppies and kittens, that sort of thing. So that that's a rough equivalent. After that, I've heard variations from year to year on what people would consider a good number of years per human year. Most often what I hear is either four or five years per human year. So that would mean that a three-year-old cat would be somewhere between 30 and 43 with the numbers I used earlier. So actually hearing that, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. I would say a one-year-old cat is roughly 16. A two-year-old cat is roughly 25. After that, if we add the four years each year, then a three-year-old cat would be 29, a four-year-old cat would be 33, a five-year-old cat would be 38. Yeah, this is this sounds roughly right. So I believe if I'm doing my math right, let's see, 25 and then 8. So that would mean that a 10-year-old cat is roughly 65? Yeah, see, that doesn't sound right to me because I know a lot of 10-year-old cats and we at work tend to consider them more middle-aged. So like maybe early 50s, but generally closer to 40s. So th this is one of those things that makes this system so hard to try to figure out how to age a cat. It's why there's so many different ones you see online is that when you put a set number of years per year of human life, it just tends to end up somewhat skewed towards the cat being a lot older. I will say the ones I've seen that have been the most accurate, which I probably should have used here, but I couldn't find a good one online when I was looking, are the ones where as the cat gets older, it's more years per year. But honestly, that's the most accurate. Those ones where, you know, maybe the first couple years the cat has a bunch of years they get added and then after that like three four five are maybe equivalent to one year 
and then when they hit like eight or nine, it starts jumping up again. Those tend to be the ones that I would see as more accurate. Um, I know personally for me, I would consider a 10-year-old cat to be maybe 45 or 50, some somewhere around middle-aged. And then as they get older, that kind of goes up. For instance, a 15-year-old cat, that's a pretty decent age. I would consider a 15-year-old cat to probably be roughly, oh, maybe 80 in human years. No, not quite even 80. More like 70 in human years would be what I would consider an equivalent for a 15-year-old cat to a human. But that's just me, and that's another thing that makes this so subjective. There is no real way to put an exact equivalent on it, because obviously we're two very different species. We don't age the same. So it makes it tricky. I can say, just mathematically, if you look at the numbers, some of the oldest humans that have ever lived lived to be around 125. Cats live... On average, I would say the oldest I've seen is 25. They can live longer. There have been cats that have lived longer. But I think consistently for a lot of hospitals, the oldest cat you'll see hits around 25. So if we do the math that way, that would mean that roughly one cat year is equivalent to five human years, which would make a 10-year-old cat 50, and it would make a 15-year-old cat 75. So that that actually might be the closest equivalent we're going to get. It doesn't quite work out because when they're kittens, they mature so much faster. But I would say roughly five years to a human year is probably about as close as you're going to get. With that, we're going to go into our break. And I'll be back after that to talk to you about more frequently asked cat questions. <laughs> Okay, everyone, so I want to start off this week by talking about the newest show to join the network, which I'm really excited about, called Lawful Stupid. It's set in a homebrew world, and it's an actual play D&D podcast. You can follow along as Atlas, the full orc barbarian, Rowan, the half-elf bard, and Kristoff, the tiefling sorcerer rogue, go up against all of the things that Dwayne, the DM, throws at them. They're definitely entertaining. They make up some colorful responses and solutions to some of the things that Dwayne throws at them, and they'll definitely keep you on your toes. I highly recommend checking it out. You can find them on nerdsmith.org or wherever you download your podcasts. The other show I want to talk about this week, and I've talked about it a couple times this month, I think, but don't care. It's Dear DM. This week, and it actually just released the other day, Joe is talking to Keith Baker, the creator of the world of Eberron, which is something that I think is absolutely fantastic. I love the Eberron setting. So if you like Eberron and want to hear more from its original creator, I definitely recommend checking it out. Again, that's Dear DM, which you can find at nerdsmith.org or wherever you download your podcasts. And with that, let's get back into this week's topic. Okay, so the next question, again, off of those most often asked questions about cats list, is why do cats sleep so much? If you look at wild cats, so the big cats, things like tigers and lions and everything, they're all designed really around conservation of energy. 
They have short bursts of energy when they go hunting or when they're fighting for some reason. But overall, they spend a lot of their time resting, and it's a survival mechanism. The way their metabolisms work, the way their bodies work, they're just naturally inclined to sleep more and conserve their energy until there's something they want to do with that energy. So our house cats, being, you know, descendants of those wild cats, have a similar feature. And honestly, they don't sleep necessarily as much as people think. They can sleep up to 16 to 20 hours a day, which is a lot. And obviously, the older cats are more likely to sleep more, and younger cats like kittens tend to go crazy, 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 play, 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 and then they exhaust themselves and they conk out for a while, kind of like a toddler. So there are sort of two ends of the spectrum on that. Some of them will sleep a lot less and some of them will sleep a lot more. But in general, it's because they're conserving their energy for when they want to be active. In the wild, it would be for when they go hunting. And in our houses, it may be for when you and I get home because they'll want to spend time with us when we get home. The next question is, why do cats have whiskers and what are whiskers for? They kind of go hand in hand. So for cats, whiskers are a sensory organ. You may have heard that before, but what that means is that they use their whiskers as a way to sense more about their surroundings. So they can use them to sense things like airflow. They can also use it to help them determine whether or not they can fit into a certain space because it helps them sense where the edges are. And for a lot of cats, how wide their whiskers are give them an idea of, can I fit my head through this space? Can I fit my shoulders through? That sort of thing, which is really what indicates whether or not the cat itself can usually squeeze through a space. Now, for overly heavy cats, this may vary a little and it may not be as accurate, but in general, if a cat's whiskers and shoulders can fit through a hole, so can the rest of their body. Like I said, there's exceptions for those cats that might have gotten a little tubby, but other than that, it's pretty accurate. So the next question is, why do cats like catnip and or what does it do for them? So catnip has specific oils and scents to it that cats have a chemical response to in their brain and it makes them stimulated. Now, not every cat has this reaction. There are some cats who don't care about catnip at all. A few years ago, I went to a seminar where they were talking about roughly 80% of cats respond to catnip and about 20% don't. Those numbers may have changed since then. It's been a few years since that particular seminar I went to, but that was the most recent information I had. So going off of that, that would mean that if someone owned 10 cats, just for the record, I don't own 10 cats, though I probably have owned 10 cats in my life. The percentage of cats who like catnip would be 8 out of the 10, and 2 out of the 10 would not care about it at all. I actually did have a roommate in college whose cat didn't care about catnip whatsoever. I brought some home for her, we put it in front of her, and she couldn't have cared less. She walked right past it over to us and looked at us like, where are the treats? What, what, what am I getting? Didn't care. Whereas the three cats I have right now all think catnip is amazing. The responses they have to it are different. Mowgli tends to eat a little bit of it or rub all over it and then kind of go crazy running all over the house playing with toys. My cat Cupid, who's the oldest of the three, tends to rub on it, eat a little bit of it, and then just get really purry and attention wanting and she rolls around and offers up her belly, things like that. 
And then the third cat, Cassidy, is somewhere in between. She gets a little more active, a little more hyper from it, but she mostly will eat it and roll around on it like Cupid. So the response to the catnip itself can vary a lot depending on the cat. I do recommend caution with catnip because there are some cats who have a very strong response to it and it makes them go a little extra crazy. Especially with kittens, this can be something that you don't necessarily want because they're already so hyper and so active. So make sure that if you don't want to give your cat catnip that you're checking carefully on toy labels. There's a lot of toys out there where even if they don't necessarily specifically say they have catnip on the packaging, if you look at the little tags that are on the toys, sometimes they do. So that's something to keep an eye out for. Okay, so the next question, and probably the last one I'll have time for on this particular episode, is why do cats hate water? This is a tricky one because honestly, not all cats do hate water. My cat Mowgli doesn't necessarily want to jump into a pool full of it, but he does like to play in the sink and he likes to drink water directly from the tap when I let him. Whereas there are other cats who don't even want to get that close to a sink. And there are some cats, and specifically certain breeds like Maine Coons and Turkish Vans, that are known to sometimes even love swimming more so than some of the other breeds. So there's a couple of different possibilities with this one. One that obviously comes into play is sort of an evolutionary factor. Cats generally are descendant from breeds of cats that originated in dry, arid areas like Egypt, places where there wasn't a lot of rain, there wasn't a ton of water most of the year, and the chances that the cat was going to have to deal with getting wet are significantly small, which means their predecessors, their ancestors, didn't really have to deal with getting wet on a regular basis. Also, in those areas, most of the time there were water predators, such as the crocodiles in the Nile. A lot of cat breeds that originated from that area are going to potentially have an instinct to not go near large amounts of water because there might be a predator in it that they have to worry about. Most wild cats don't want to tangle with a crocodile if they can help it. It's one of the reasons why on all those, you know, Animal Planet shows and stuff, you always see them being very cautious going up to the edge of the water. They don't want to get pulled in by a crocodile. Another potential factor is that cats are very fastidious groomers. They're constantly grooming themselves and keeping themselves clean, which some dogs do to a certain extent, but generally not as much as a cat. And so by getting them wet or adding soaps or something, what you're doing is making them not smell the way they normally would, which means the cat then feels like it has to groom itself a lot, which essentially means to them, you're just making more work for them. We may think they smell better, but to a cat, they smell weird. And so they now have to groom themselves to make themselves more normal again. Another potential factor is that most cats don't like change. So unless you get them used to it when they're really small kittens, they're not as likely to necessarily enjoy water when they get older. I mentioned my cat Mowgli. When he was a kitten, I used to let him drink out of the faucet more because I was trying to give him a chance to really get a good drink away from the adult cats that were still getting used to him. Now, as an adult cat, unfortunately, I've ingrained that behavior in him, and so he thinks drinking from the faucet is amazing as opposed to drinking from a regular cat bowl. So he's not as afraid of water as, say, my other two cats, Cupid and Cassidy, are. They don't tend to go near the sinks. They don't really want to go near the running water as much. And so for them, water is more of a aversion than it is for Mowgli. Another reason that a lot of people think that the 
evolutionary factor having to do with originating from a dry, arid region may be part of the reason cats dislike water in general is that if you look at the big cats that do live in areas with more water, so for instance, tigers, tigers are known for going swimming on a regular basis as a big wild cat. And there's not really any domestic cats that are descendant from tigers. Most of our house cats are from cats that were originating in the Egyptian area. So they wouldn't have been around a lot of water. But tigers, like I said, they like swimming. And there are some house cat breeds. I mentioned the Maine Coons and the Turkish Vans. The Turkish Vans in particular, that cat breed where it was bred and originated is by Lake Van in Turkey. And that particular region gets very, very warm. So the cats developed this enjoyment of swimming or this survival tactic of getting in the water and going swimming in order to cool down because they generally have very long, thick fur. Some of them are shorter haired, but they often have fairly thick fur. And by going into the water, they were able to cool themselves down. But that breed is definitely a rarity amongst cats in terms of liking water. It is true that for the most part, a lot of them don't like getting wet. And unfortunately, we can't just ask them to tell us why. So based off what we know, we suspect one of the reasons I mentioned, but don't have a definitive answer for you, unfortunately. So we're coming up on the end of this week's podcast. I didn't get to fully finish that top 10 list from the Googling that I mentioned. So what I'm going to do is actually make this a two-part episode, first one I've done. So this week will be part one, and then next week I will finish off the top 10 asked questions about cats and continue on with a few others, which may not make the top 10, but they're ones that I've heard a lot at work. So to fully end and round out this particular episode, I want to go back to the middle where I was talking about our newest podcast, Lawful Stupid. Even before they joined Nerdsmith, they had been doing something which we really were inspired by called Min Max Mankind. What they were asking is for role-playing game podcasters to join them in rolling a d20 and donating that money to some sort of charity. And it could vary depending on the podcast. So Lawful Stupid donated to an organization called Child's Play. And I'm going to be rolling a d20 and donating to the World Wildlife Fund. I'm not an RPG podcaster on this show, but I am part of Shenanigans here at Nerdsmith. And just in general, I think that a project like this is a really good one to support. So for anyone else who's interested or anyone who happens to listen to me that does a role-playing podcast, or even if you're just playing with your home group and you guys want to be involved, you can go to lawfulstupid.org and they have more information at the top of their site. There's a link for the MinMax Mankind. You can also go online and tweet at them. They're at stupidlawful and let them know that you're participating with the hashtag MinMaxMankind. The more we can do to help out everyone, the better. So with that, I'm going to roll my d20 and add my shenanigans character Val's highest stat, which is a plus four to her wisdom. I rolled a 12, so I'll be donating $16 to the World Wildlife Federation. And again, if you want to join us in MinMax Mankind, please go to lawfulstupid.org and look at the tab that has MinMax Mankind information, or let us know online and tweet us with the hashtag MinMaxMankind. And I'll be back next week with more information on frequently asked cat questions. 
Please remember to check out the other wonderful podcasts and productions here at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. Welcome to the Birchfield Institute. My name is Ren. How can I help you? Oh, new faces. Hi. We come looking for stories. Well, this place is nothing if not full of them. Stick around. I've got some of the best. Threads in the Veil, an audio drama series on nerdsmith.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Crosswords with Will Crossway. Advice and analysis for the musician at the gaming table. Available on nerdsmith.org or wherever you watch your YouTube videos. YouTube, right? Probably YouTube.